Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. So we're here at Tales of the Cocktail at a beautiful little uh, place just in the French Quarter. I'm here with Paul Halectico, the founder of Few Spirits. Uh, you've been, uh, you've basically uh, created an entire movement uh, for your distillery in an interesting place in Illinois to go grain to glass, the full process. So tell us about distillery, tell us about your philosophy, and kind of give, us, give uh, our listeners kind of the, the one-on-one on your distillery. Sure, I think uh, Few Spirits is just, a, we're a small distillery. Um, the overall production facility is you know, under 3,000 square feet, uh, but ever since we began, everything we've ever done has been made by us, mm-hmm. uh, for us, you know, in our facility. We mash, we ferment, we distill, uh, we proof, we barrel, we bottle, we package. Uh, everything's yeah. done by us, and it's something that we really... Yeah, we're really proud of. Um, you know, we're all kind of in the business of spirits in order to put art in a glass. Right. And so we're there to create, and we're there to make, and we're there to, to be with each other and to make this art that we all have this weird and crazy obsession over yeah. uh, and share it with people. And so I think that's kind of been our philosophy ever since day one is you know, create, make new stuff, do cool stuff, yeah. and have a little bit of fun along the way. I um I gotta say like being from Canada we don't always get like the the smaller micro distilleries uh, from the U S. Uh, Fuse one of those bottles where uh, you never know whether this is whiskey you make or whiskey somebody else has made that you've bottled. Uh, and I, is that something that you find like a like a like a bit of a uh, uh, I guess a marketing problem where like so there's so many bottlers out there <laughs> that have you know MGP or whatever in their bottle and they don't make their own whiskey in that respect that you do. Um, is that a message that you're having trouble getting across or? You know, I think in the, you know, certainly the spirits business is full of a lot of, awful lot of smoke and mirrors. And yeah. I think that's really unfortunate and mm-hmm. certainly presents a challenge for us. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's one of the things that we're really proud of. You know, we are open, we are honest, we are transparent. Uh, I actually wrote the ethics code for the entire craft spirits distillery, hmm. uh, I'm sorry, craft spirits industry, yeah. uh, to focus on that. and. You know, our kind of approach has always been that the consumer and the drinker should get what they're paying for. And if you know, they believe that somebody else is making the whiskey, it's a little deceptive. Mm-hmm. So all we do, and I'm not worried about MGP, I'm not worried about people that buy, that's all fine. That's, not, that's just simply not what we do. We're yeah. proud of what we do, and we make everything from scratch by hand. Um, you're located in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, the birthplace of prohibition. Can you yeah. kind of tell me a little bit about that? So, you know, we typically say we're from kind of Chicago, and then if you get pushed, it's Chicago land. But where we're really from is a small town called Evanston, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, just shares the northern, or our southern border is the northern border of the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, eastern border is, you know, the lake. And so it's cool being in Evanston. It's where I live. It's where my kids go to school. It's, you know, it's where we've been, and we love living there. But the interesting thing geographically about that, because you know, your listeners probably don't care where I live, <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about being in Evanston, it was that's the birthplace of Prohibition. Uh, there's a university in town called Northwestern University that was founded in the 1850s mm-hmm. uh, in kind of a no man's land outside of Chicago. And in order to protect the students at Northwestern from the evils of alcohol, uh, the town's founding fathers actually started an entire city yeah. just to outlaw alcohol. Wow. Uh, the only reason the city exists <laughs> is to prohibit alcohol. And so as it was already a dry community, it served as a really natural home base 
for the women that were putting together the prohibition movement across yeah, the yeah. U.S. Yeah. And so the second resident, the, the second president of the WCTU uh, was an Evanston resident named Frances Elizabeth Willard, who many people notice a similarity between her initials and our name. Yeah. Uh, although, of course, that's just a sheer coincidence. <laughs> right, the official uh, reason is you only bottle a few things. We only make a few things. <laughs> you don't need too many things for a good drink. You just need a few. Yeah. Uh, you can come home at night no matter what. You can always tell the truth that you didn't have too many. Uh, you just had a few. A few. Uh, that's amazing. I love the name. Um, the um, distillery. So let's, let's go through your line a little bit. Let's talk about the whiskey that you're doing. Uh, we're, uh, we have uh, four bottles here. One's a gin. Uh, so can kind of give us kind of what, where you see the whiskey kind of flavor-wise and kind of what, what your goals are with the whiskey. Sure. So I mean, our bourbon whiskey, I think, is our, it's our number one seller. I would mm-hmm. call it our flagship. And you know, I always tell people that one of the first things you'll notice about few bourbon is that it does not taste like Kentucky bourbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, primary reason being, it's actually not Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> uh, we actually make it, again, we make everything oh, ourselves. Yeah. And because we do that, we're able to make it taste how we want to taste. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to follow a lot of the traditions of Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, just to make the bourbon we want to make. So it's a mash bill of 70% corn, 20% rye, 10% malted barley. Uh, we use a Belgian yeast uh, for the ferment. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with a really heavy spice, cinnamon, clove, pepper flavor. Yeah. Plenty of sweetness. That's still bourbon. Yeah. Um, but to me, the defining character of the few is that spice level. Um, yeah, I, I love the, the herbiness, as you point out, the cloves of that, um, the spice level. The, um, what, what was the kind of, like, how, you're, you're a lawyer by trade, correct? You, uh, I'm feeling much better now. <laughs> right. Uh, what's the, how did you come with the, with the recipe and how did you come to this kind of the, defining the, the characteristics of the distillery? So like for the bourbon, what I tried to do is figure out what I liked about the products that were on mm-hmm. the market as well mm-hmm. as stuff that I'd, maybe I didn't like as much. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one night or one day I went out and bought every single bottle of bourbon I could find. And uh, just as a pro tip, yeah. Uh, don't let your wife come home to find 50 bottles of bourbon on your dining room table. I was going to say, it's that's a poor choice. 10,000 or more worth of whiskey in one day. There was a lot of whiskey, I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. But yeah. it gave me the opportunity to go through and really do side-by-sides and take notes and really understand what I liked about various products, yeah. what I didn't like, as well as then identify stuff that I thought perhaps was lacking in the bourbon market, something somewhere new or somewhere different that we could take bourbon yeah, and try to do something that was going to be great. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, just going based on that, the the, the oak levels on this are, are pretty light. They're not as heavy as you would find in a Kentucky bourbon. Uh, the spice levels are there, and like the, a good Kentucky bourbon would have the the cloves and the kind of the herbiness, and that's really hard to find in a whiskey. So you you've kind of done exactly that. You've then didn't make it too oaky, made it spicy, made it thing. That's really really very cool. Yeah, nicely uh, nicely done. And um, you uh, so with this. So you've distilled, uh, what uh, kind of barrels are you using for uh, maturation? Uh, so all of our barrels are Minnesota oak. Okay. Uh, we get all of our barrels out of Minnesota, uh, where obviously it's a little bit farther north than a lot of the big boys get their barrels. Mm-hmm. And what that does is have a shorter growing season. Shorter growing season yields tighter grain. Mm-hmm. Tighter grain results in a different character of whiskey than you might get from the big boys. Right. Uh, one of the challenges in the whiskey industry is that our larger competitors make really good product. Yeah, yeah. And so you can't sit here and go, oh, they make bad stuff, because frankly, you're lying then. Yeah. And while you can't pretend there is no bad whiskey on the market, it's not really a 
material part of the industry. Yeah. The vast majority of whiskey that gets sold is really good. Yeah. So you have to do something a little bit different than they do while having their quality. Right. And so that's one of the things we really strive to do is do something different. Yeah. We want to add something new to the conversation of whiskey, make something that doesn't just a Me Too whiskey. Uh, Belgium yeast. Why Belgium yeast? Uh, it, was, it used to be like the flavor of the best. Uh, okay. We were looking for something that had that kind of spiciness, mm -hmm. and we found a, a Belgian yeast that we thought really balanced out what we wanted. High rye mash bill, uh, but the mash bill on the bourbon's not particularly different than you might find from some Kentucky bourbons. Yeah, yeah. But then we wanted to make sure we stood out and do something a little bit different. Right. So you get some variation based on the yeast and the oak you're using, kind of gets, mm -hmm. gets you that more flavor. Uh, let's talk about the rye. So rye whiskey is probably, it's our number two selling product, but mm -hmm. probably our number one hype. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic rye whiskey that still nobody really has anything like it. It's a mash bill of 70% rye, 20% corn, 10% malt. And we use a wine yeast to ferment the rye. Mm. And so you'll get a little bit of an unexpected kind of fruity ester kind of in the mid to the finish. Yeah, that's got that really nice sweetness. And that, that mm. complements so nice to the spice as well. It's really nice, yeah. So plenty of spice from that rye. 20% yeah. corn kind of gives it a little bit more balance. And then the wine yeast really helps make it stand out. Yeah. You know, certainly in rye, I think that's one of the areas where perhaps it's the most smoke and mirrors in the whiskey business, if that's sure. even possible. Because that's the MGP formula. They made that 95.5 yep. rye, and that's where everybody bottles that, yeah. Right, so yeah. you get your 90, you know, anytime you see a 95% rye, probably from southern Indiana. Yeah. Anytime you see a 100% rye, it's probably from Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, there's really just two places, or at least until a small little craft guy started coming along. Yeah. There's really just two places you could get rye whiskey. Southern Indiana and Alberta. And like you said, they do a great job. This isn't even, uh, you're, you're great competing whiskey. against a great whiskey. Um, I, I certainly love the flavors of this. I, I do like the, um, so you're saying it's the wine yeast that kind of brings out the, the, this, that kind of rich sweet notes through the middle and the finish. Yeah, yeah so that's the, right. the yeast gives us the kind of the fruity in the mid to the top, and then the corn kind of gives it just enough sweetness to cut the super, you know, that really stereotypical, super dry, astringent pepper flavor that people get from 95 or 100 percent yeah. rise. Yeah, uh, our 20 percent corn kind of cuts that sharpness a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you still get the spice, but you also get a little bit of sweet coming up underneath to balance it oh. and turn it into a more complete whiskey. No, this is really terrific. I'm really enjoying that. Uh, all right, and we got one more bottle of whiskey to talk about. Yeah, and so this is our newest. Thank uh, you. This is not released yet. Okay. Uh, so this will be getting launched in September and October in Illinois and New York. Okay. Uh, very limited release for now, but I think we'll probably we're planning on releasing more in the future. And there is no real category for this whiskey. Okay. Yeah, you know, one of the things we're always looking for a few is to do something new and something different. And so this is just what we're captioning. We're calling it the American whiskey, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a combination of our bourbon, our rye, as well as a weird kind of experimental. Technically, it's a single malt whiskey mm -hmm. uh, that we did. Okay. And so it's about 45% few bourbon, about 45% few rye, mm -hmm. and about 10% of this single, single malt, malt. Yeah. that gives it some really nice kind of smoky, rich flavors. Um, and we think it really tries to create, I think we think it really creates something that's different. So you like whiskey too, huh? My name's Kevin Van Ekeren, and I host a podcast called The State of Logic. We do some great interviews with both 
comedians, and also intellectuals to kind of understand the world and also make you laugh a little bit. We also do quick podcasts to cover current events, make your life a little bit easier so you don't have to watch the mainstream media nearly as much. We all know that's a bit toxic. Come check us out at the State of Logic podcast. The single malt category, you don't have a single malt right now, but that's, that is something you're, I'm guessing you're going to go into as well. Because I feel like the single malt category in the U.S. is, is getting really good. Like the, the distillers are getting really good at it. There's, there's some great products from micro distilleries. It's actually, you know, I think it's changed a lot in the last five years. Where I think five sure. years ago it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as maybe attractive for whiskey drinkers. It is getting to be that as well. Yeah, yeah. we do very small amounts of single yeah. malt. We uh, do a release in the fall every year. Uh, we release somewhere between 600 and 900 bottles a year, and that's it. Mm. Um, so we do do it, but it's kind of a small release, and we don't intend on picking it up. Yeah. Uh, but there is some fantastic stuff happening out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, me and my friends at Westward, my friends at Westland. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, these guys down at Eads in Virginia are doing some really fantastic uh, single malts as well. Yeah, this is an interesting port. It's... Um doesn't quite, doesn't quite remind you of anything. Like it doesn't it doesn't hit that kind of. It's not. It doesn't quite. It's oaky like a bourbon. Uh, it has a lot of the kind of rye characteristics of your other whiskeys. But there's that little extra. Um, yeah, I guess tobacco. I think you described it pretty well. The uh, kind of the, the leathery notes as well. Yeah, there's some uh, interesting richness, and it, you know, it doesn't taste like bourbon. Doesn't taste like rye. Uh, it's not. It's neither of those things. But it includes all those elements and characters yeah. characteristics. What made you want to release this? Thing. We really thought it was cool. Yeah, okay, perfect, um, that's great. <laughs> we had all this single malt we didn't really know what to do with. Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic whiskey on its own, mm-hmm. uh, but frankly, we didn't know how to label it. Right. Um, because under U.S. law, it would technically be a single malt. Right. Uh, but to my own ethical and moral character, I would not call it a single malt because it's not 100% malted barley. Right, and so, so for listeners, that's a great, great point. Uh, uh, malted barley, or single malts in Scotland have to be 100% malted barley, otherwise it's a blended malt. Correct. A blended yeah, grain, yeah. Uh, but here in the U.S., it, it's, it's the 51% rule. It's a bourbon, it's 51% corn, yeah. and if it's 51% rye, it's rye. If it's 51% malted barley, barley it's malt. malt. Um, and so legally, I agree with that. And you don't dis- you disagree <laughs> with that because the, the confusion is obviously there. Most consumers yes. wouldn't, wouldn't, those words are so well recognized as 100% malted barley, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that impression that there was a blend of right. different grain. Um, so what, what is your uh, malted uh, barley uh, grain combination? like? Uh, on the American whiskey, it's only 75% mal- malted okay. barley. Yeah. And what makes you choose that number? Like, what's, what's the, why 75%? What's the We're try- experimenting and trying to find yeah. the right balance. Yeah. Um, so we had, this was a heavily smoked malt mm-hmm. that we used. Um, we wanted to see what happened with a really smoky. Where'd you smoke, smoke it? What's the? Uh... Uh, cherry wood. Okay. Nice. Um, so yeah. a little bit, uh, the smoke itself is a little bit softer than mm. the little more acrid, phenolic yeah. uh, peat that people are used to. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit sweeter. It's not quite as heavy, and I, mean, I love a peated mold as much as the next guy, if not more so. Yeah. But in Chicago, we don't have peat fields. Right. <laughs> You're <laughs> not going to get I'm those sorry. same. We, we just don't have it, and yeah. so it doesn't make sense to me to use peat. Sure. I, I love it. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense for me. Well, and, and listeners uh, of the, the podcast know I, uh, I have a terrible nose for peat as far as I, uh, if there's a little bit of peat, I won't smell it. I need a lot of peat. Like an Octomore, I understand yeah. there's peat. And Bomor's kind of my limit. Like, oh yeah, this is peated, but it's a very kind of secondary thought. My nose is, so I don't pick up any, any smoke on this whatsoever. No, it's super it's, subtle. It's so, so, so subtle. I know some people are like, they'll smell this like, oh my God, it's smoky. But no. uh, 
it, it is super subtle. Uh, so um, tell us, um, um, so you've, um, you opened up a distillery. Uh, tell us kind of like, uh, just, do you have a story from like kind of the early days of like trials and tribulations of, of being new in the industry uh, and really at a time where there wasn't as many, well, people were starting to open up a lot of distilleries, but like there was a lot of, must have been a lot of growing pains in the early years, like choosing equipment and everything else. It's been, it was, it was hard starting out. I'm sure it's still hard now as well. Oh, right? It wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's just different. You know, yeah. you know, when we started up, there really wasn't anybody else doing what we do. There's maybe 30 to 50 guys across the country doing yeah, it. Yeah, There's nobody. You know, there's certainly some, you know, the, some, the crazy genius of the business were ahead of us. You know, I'm by no means the first. Yeah, yeah. But we were super early actually making our own stuff. Yeah, because that was really that era where, like, a lot of, like, it was just starting out, really, yeah, in many like, ways. We're, we're not the first. I'm not pretending yeah, we're first. Yeah. But we were early enough that there really weren't resources, and trying to get people to even just return phone calls was hard. I bet, yeah. Um, you know, trying to buy a still, all the still manufacturers would be like, who are you? <laughs> right. Nah, we're not even going to return that phone call. Yeah, yeah. And trying to find people that can work with you on, you know, grain specs and so on. And you were small. They don't. We weren't buying enough grain to make it worth their while yeah. to do anything special for us, but we wanted grain one way, and so we had to. We rejected a whole bunch of shipments of grain because nobody believed what we wanted. Right, right. Um, getting barrels is super expensive when you're only buying one or two at a time, yeah. and you know I think just one of the things I just remember is the kind of first day when everything was delivered and I'm sitting alone in a room with you know, pieces and parts of stills and there's a boiler unattached over in the corner and just kind of sit and look around going, oh man, what have I done? <laughs> you had a cushy Oops. lawyer career. <laughs> you could have gone back to the courtroom. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It, you know, it's been really rewarding. Yeah. You know, seven years ago when we started up, I was alone in the room and now we've got a team of 16 people yeah. extending across, you know, all over the country and doing some really fun stuff and yes. I think kind of making a difference. At least I'd like to think so. Um, how many people actually work at the distillery? Like how, what's, what's your, like how many people work at the distillery that you, uh, you have? So right now we got about 16. Um, oh, so, but at the distillery? Yeah, well okay. at the distillery itself we only have seven and then okay. we've got uh, a group of guys over at our rack house where we do the barreling and sure. bottling and uh, harvesting and a lot of the processing. Uh, we've got some other people uh, out in the field, and you know it's really rewarding working with a group of people awesome. that are dedicated, passionate, and creative. Um, where do you see few being in like five years? What's your kind of what's your plan as you as you build out the distillery and, and that? You know, as as we build off, we continue to want to do great things. Yeah. You know, our goal has always been to make the greatest whiskey on the planet. Excellent. Yeah. And I don't think we're ever going to get there because I don't know how you define greatest whiskey on the planet. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're striving for each yeah. and every day and trying to make, you know, trying to get better and better whiskey into people's glasses. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, where can people buy your products uh, in the U.S.? Oh, in the U.S., we're sold across everywhere. about 45 states. Yeah. In Canada, we're in uh, Ontario a little bit as well mm -hmm. as Quebec. Uh, we're sold across Europe, uh, China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Panama. <laughs> hey, the Panama loves their whiskey. I, I've been there uh, a couple of years ago, and it's I was cool. like, I was really impressed. They, they had a good presence there. It's awesome. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, stories and, and whiskey as well. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers, Paul. Cheers.